Kevin Clark, my ESPN colleague, the host of This Is Football. Now that Sunday's games are in the rear view, Kevin, my question to you is, you know, how much do you think about the Roman Empire? Uh, a lot. I probably, probably more than the, like, I also think of HBO's Rome quite a bit as well. Say, you know what? This is why we're friends. I loved that show. Um, thanks for rolling with the punches on that opening question. Now we know you do think about the Roman Empire. I feel like everybody does. We're now two weeks into the NFL season, and we're here to help you figure out what's happening. For example, are the Rams actually better than we thought? Are the Bengals worse? Have the Cowboys finally arrived? Can anyone slow down the Dolphins? And are the Giants ever going to score? Spoiler alert, they scored a lot eventually. So today, Kevin Clark, host of This Is Football, joins the show to help us separate fact and fiction across everything we saw on Sunday. I'm Michelle Steele. It's Monday, September 18th. This is ESPN Daily. Let's talk about recent history now, uh, what we just watched, right? The Dolphins <laughs> beating the Patriots by 24 to 17 at Foxborough. Weird game, weird end to that game. Um, felt like Miami was in control for much of it, but it basically almost came down to a fat guy first down at the end. Curious what your initial takeaways are here. Uh, I don't know where to start. Cole Strange, the offensive lineman who whose pick was so, when he was drafted, his pick was so controversial that if you remember the Rams like, like reacted in real time being like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. So all of that led to him getting a lateral from Mike Gusecki uh, and then getting a ruled a first down that would have extended the game in a huge primetime game. Yeah. It was short. Um, I did not expect any of this. And I bet Cole Strange probably four years ago did not either. Um, so I think that, you know, you could take away the weird, uh, special teams motion. You can take that away from this game. Um, they maybe just change special teams forever. Um, but what I, I'm taking away from it is that the Dolphins can win so many different ways. Um, we saw last week, if you saw any of the cut-ups about how Tyreek Hill won with motion and this offense and how creative it is, what I thought was interesting tonight was how much, first of all, Christian Gonzalez did a very nice job. And we saw from the first, uh, the first kind of series that the Patriots were going to do put a bunch of defensive backs back there, three safeties, I think, on the first play of the game or at least on the first series. But Christian Gonzalez for the Patriots did a nice job on Tyree Kill. Um, Tua got rid of the ball really quickly, and they used that motion um, to their advantage. So motion in the Dolphins' offense is not just about getting guys open. It's about distracting everybody and getting guys who aren't in motion open. Um, and so I think we're seeing some of the most creative and innovative schemes anywhere, basically. And you add in the athletes Miami has doing it, and it's it's pretty amazing to watch. So the fact that they weren't firing on all cylinders on offense is actually sort of significant for the long term that they're still able to win this kind of game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of uh, creative, I think that Bill Belichick, uh, we, we got to talk about special teams, right? I think that Bill Belichick is <laughs> likely very... He wants to. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I do think he thinks about the Roman Empire quite a bit because he's a history guy. He sure is. Um, how, how weird was that call uh, by Mike McDaniel to try for the 55-yard 
field goal late in the fourth, you know, fourth and three up by seven, 219 left. Was this one of those cowardly field goal attempts that Mina Kimes tweets about pretty regularly? <laughs> Every field goal <laughs> attempt is a cowardly field goal attempt, Michelle <laughs> yeah. Steele. Um, no, I, I, I'd love to see the percentages that they had because it always changes mm. on whether or not going forward and fourth and three was the play there. I may have done that just because of the way your offense is structured. Who's better at running the ball right now than the Miami Dolphins? Who has better schemes? Who could run a, a jet sweep and, and get some guy, you know, open by by 10 yards, right, um, in the backfield. So I, I would have trusted Mike McDaniel, Tua, that backfield. And even though the offensive line isn't at full strength, I would have trusted them. Um, but the 55-yard field goal, those things are made. We see now, There's there's been kicker inflation, Michelle, and we yeah. see like 59-yarders all the time now. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, but I saw a stat the other day, like 55-plus or 60-yarders, whatever it is, we're at an all-time high the last couple of years. So I don't hate it. Um, what I do hate is doing it when the kicker might have uh, might have a, a man in motion in his head after what happened earlier. Yes. Belichick is a special teams genius, and Jason Sanders might be seeing that guy in his dreams for the rest of his life. What were your initial feelings when you saw that, by the way, when you saw the uh, field goal block? Let me tell you something. Bill Belichick is a big uh, voice at some of these owners' meetings about not taking special teams out of the game. Don't take the foot out of the game. That's always what you hear from these guys who love old-school special teams football. And what better way to get special teams back in a year where we're not supposed to have kickoffs anymore because of the way the new rules, everything's supposed to be fair, caught all that stuff. Who's bringing special teams back? more than Bill Belichick and having it a viral moment. For the Dolphins and Jason Sanders. Patriots one on late. He got a piece of it. It was blocked off the edge by Brendan Schooler and Duggar recovers on the other side of midfield. He is going to have special teams be at the literal forefront of this week's news cycle. Like if, if I were to take the names off and be like, here's what happened. This is what, like, this is the play design. This was the game that was. You would be like, oh, Bill Belichick did that, right? Like, the, he is he is the master yes. at stuff like this. Yeah, I think the only thing more viral was probably his extremely angry challenge flag throw. He's a master. A he's a master of comedy. He knows how to get attention. All right, Kevin, coming up, we are going to take a look at the rest of the NFL action on Sunday. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. 
Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Let's pick it up here with the Niners and Rams. Kevin, you know, after the Niners look like just an incredible machine week one, I think a lot of Niners fans maybe thought that this week two matchup with the Rams would be a little lopsided, but that is not how it played out at all, especially that first half of the game. It was tied up at the half. You know, how did Sean McVay keep the Rams in this one? Because, you know, by all accounts, it was a well-coached plan on both sides. So the Rams are better than we think. Like, that's the short answer. There's a longer answer I'm going to get to here in a second. But Sean McVay was not going to come back to tank. And I think the outside narrative that he was going to come back, they were going to go 1-16, and they were going to get Caleb Williams, was always misguided. Sean McVay is not wired like that. And listen, everybody says they're not wired like that. But Sean McVay is actually not wired like that. Like Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. Yeah, I would, I would, I'm not going to lose. Blah, blah, blah. Like the, some of these teams organizationally are going to be more comfortable with losing than others. The Rams are not one of those organizations. People are looking at that roster and looking at the defensive backs and saying, okay, we don't even know who these guys are. But Sean McVay is a really good coach. And Matthew Stafford's a much better quarterback than anybody seems to remember. Um, They still have top-end talent. The reason they're in salary cap hell and and draft capital hell is because they had a bunch of really good guys. Some of those guys are still on the roster. Um, And so I I think the floor is a lot higher than maybe people think. And we have to get used to the Rams playing like this. And this was just McVay playing McVay-style football with a team that is going to try harder and have a higher floor than last year um, and you know, more improved offensive line, all of that stuff. Like this is a uh, normal Rams team with the high floor. So how did the Niners ultimately adjust and pull away in the second half? So this is the biggest adjustment in the second half. The Niners started to send a lot of heat in the second half. Um, here are the stats via Nick Wagner, um, our, our colleague, ESPN's own yes. Nick Wagner. Uh, first half blitzes, uh, for for the Niners, it was three of 20 dropbacks, so 15%, zero pressures on those three blitzes. In the second half, they blitzed on 13 of 30 dropbacks, 43%, and with nine pressures. He follows that up by saying that Matt Stafford, when under duress, was one of 10 for 15 yards. We know the only thing that works on any quarterback, doesn't matter who they are, whether it's Patrick Mahomes, Nathan Peterman, Russell Wilson, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. is when you put them under duress, They are a significantly worse quarterback. We saw that with Matthew Stafford over and over again last year where there was a terrible offensive line. Um, The Rams were just completely stuck in the mud the entire season because of it. Um, It's improved this year, but the Niners are really good when they want to be at at bringing the house, um, having athletes all over the place. And we saw that in the second half. Wilkes got more aggressive. That made all the difference. All right, so the Niners escape with a win. They're going to host the Giants Thursday night. Checking in now on the 2-0 and uh, Cowboys. Clearly, offensive fireworks, right? Last week against the Giants. That rolled into Sunday against the Jets. The Jets' defense decidedly did not look like the 85 Bears. Um, <laughs> there was at least one defender who compared that defense in the preseason to the 85 Bears. Looked a little sluggish today. I know it's only week two, but like unironically, how about these Cowboys? So I picked the Cowboys to make the Super Bowl before the season, and I could not feel more confident after two weeks. I also picked the Bengals to win the Super Bowl, but let's let's actually not ever mention that ever again. Um, and so I respect but, you for bringing that up, though, because I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that generally this team is a stacked. But then B, the Jets are decidedly not stacked on different parts of their roster right now, including quarterback. And I feel like there was always going to be an emotional letdown after they go from a 
basically a guy who's won two of the last three MVPs to what I consider to be the worst starter in football. Um, that was always going to happen. I think that even if you're going to say, hey, we're going to ball out for Zach Wilson, there's a ceiling on that. There's a limit on what you can do. And so, listen, they they had some nice pressures early, but Zach Wilson was just, I, I think, the third pick. He was basically unpressured through three interceptions, uh, quarterback rating of 38. This is what it's going to be this year. This is why I encouraged on my show, not that they're sitting around listening, uh, that the, the Jets need to make a move. Like, they, they can't start yeah. him at more than one or two weeks. I mean, like, you can lie to the public and say Zach's our guy and double down over and over again, but you can't lie to yourself. And I think that's what you're getting at this point. At this point, if Zach Wilson is your guy for more than a month of the season, um, this was brutal, and we're just going to see more and more of this because if Rodgers is playing in this game, um, I think it's obviously significantly more competitive than thirty to ten. All right. So, yeah, I mean, if they were going to win this game against the Cowboys, they had to run the ball. And clearly the Cowboys defense uh, took that personal. Uh, so <laughs> what, what does the Jets front office need to do right now? I mean, they have not signed. Surprisingly, I thought they'd have another quarterback on their roster by this game. They don't. Um, where do they look for a savior at quarterback? Well, the most pressing evidence that the Jets are down bad. It's that the big narrative at the end of the week was that Aaron Rodgers might have the fastest Achilles recovery in the history of the world, yeah. um, which is bad news when you, when you think about all the options out there. Um, so, okay, there's a couple of ways they can go. They can go out and they sign a veteran, whether that's, you know, Joe Flacco, who knows the system, whether that's, uh, people were saying Brett Rippon, who, who worked with Hackett um, in the past, and Hackett obviously was in Green Bay before that. There's guys out there, but what I would do with the way that this defense is structured and the way that the wide receiver talent is ready to break out, I'd basically call everybody and see who's available for a second or third round pick. I would not feel bad about, not not wasting draft, draft capital, but spending draft capital in order to save this season with so many expectations. You're not going to have this kind of window again. Mm. Even if you say Aaron Rodgers after a year is going to come back and be healthy, that's a long time. You In football years, for, especially for a guy who's going to be 40, um, that that's dog years at some point. And I just think you try to at least get the bridge quarterback until A, Aaron Rodgers makes his miraculous recovery, or B, the guy who can take over for a year after Zach Wilson gets out of the building. Because I do not think... Zach Wilson is an answer for a quarter, let alone the rest of the season, let alone with this fast defense. I mean, I'd compared over and over again, this Jets team to the, the Tampa Bay team that won the Super Bowl with Brady. We're talking about athletes all over the place on defense, good wide receivers, ready to break out. The timing is perfect to go back to Zach Wilson. After that is demoralizing to the entire fan base and the entire roster. Absolutely. And speaking of that miraculous recovery, I mean, if he somehow rehabs even for the Super Bowl, for instance, that would be faster than Cam Akers. And he's like 16 years older than Cam Akers. So we'll see if it can happen. I think they need to add somebody. Moving to the other New York team, the Giants were coming off a disastrous shutout loss to the Cowboys week one. But this week, I mean, the turntables have turned on the, the New York football Giants. They came back uh, from being down to win the game 31 to 28. So which version of the Giants, Kevin, do you think is closer to the version that we'll see going forward? Because we're getting whiplash last year, uh, week one to week two. And I'm sure Brian Dable would like to see this version go forward. But what do you think? So first of all, some good news, which is that the Giants did not have the worst record, uh, scoring record to start the season. They uh, they scored in the third quarter, I believe. Yeah. Um, and the 1934 team went into the eighth quarter of uh, of their season before scoring. So they, they beat the 1934 team. Congratulations to the G-Men. Um, but no, it, it was a really interesting um 
I think, attitude adjustment. And I think that they were really flat coming. Obviously, they were incredibly flat last week, losing 40 nothing. They come out. Um, they were allowing the Cardinals to run all over them. I don't think they expected them that that running defense struggle to spread to Josh Dobbs being able to carve the defense through the air, the secondary. Josh Dobbs is running. He looked like Josh Allen on one play, trucking, uh, I think, their starting safety. Mm-hmm. Um, it was brutal. Big to Connor again. Dobbs stepping up. And the fact that Dayball started running more play action, going deeper down the field, trusting his guys, Jalen Hyatt, the rookie, who I thought should have gone way higher in the draft, um, looked like a legitimate deep ball threat. That's what he was doing against SEC defenses. Now he's doing against the Cardinals, which I think maybe you could argue some SEC defenses are better than the Cardinals. Um, But I think that generally you just saw a, a, a confidence there. And the ceiling on the Giants season, I think, is pretty low. Yeah. Their cap is tied up in guys like Daniel Jones. Obviously, they had to re-sign legitimate stars like Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, and those guys. But um, they are what they are, and the ceiling is low. I think they saved their season today. Yeah. But I also think that the definition of like what their season is is not what Giants fans think it is. Um, yeah. So it's not going to be a disaster, um, but it's not going to be all that good. Yeah, we'll have to watch that injury to Saquon Barkley. He left the game late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and considering how few options they have to throw the ball, uh, Saquon is really, really important. Uh, We'll see what happens Thursday night at San Francisco. After the break, what we saw from the early slate of games on Sunday. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. All right, Kevin, early in the day, we saw the Ravens beat the Bengals 27-24 in a AFC North battle. Let's start with Cincinnati, though. They are 0-2 for the second year in a row. Joe Burrow, not looking good, uh, missed most of the preseason with a calf injury, said that he re-aggravated it on Sunday. What happened on the, on the calf? Let's tweak it a little bit again, uh, and we'll see where it is tomorrow. 
What's your take here? Uh, do things feel a little more ominous in Cincinnati this year sitting at 0-2? So Adam Schefter put out a stat uh, Sunday morning, basically saying that the only team in the seven-team from each conference era that has made the playoffs after starting 0-2 is last year's Cincinnati Bengals. We've gotten to this point, Michelle, and you've probably yeah. seen it with it. Burrow, Mahomes. Uh, we had it with Belichick and Brady for years. We're kind of scared to say anything bad about these guys in fear of being old takes exposed, especially with Burrow. Um, and in the last two years, because the way his game is built is based on sharpness of his vision, um, getting guys out into routes. Um, I mean, just generally just being in the zone, I guess you could call it the football version of being in the zone. Right. Burrow catches at the eight. He'll drop back to throw. Passes into the end zone. Higgins catches it. Touchdown, Bengals. And once he gets going, he doesn't stop. The problem is, if the calf is a lingering injury, uh, it may never get going. And and that's the biggest concern for me is that at some point it becomes a math problem, especially with the Ravens in the division. The Ravens are 2-0 now. They look really good. The biggest concern for me, frankly, um, from this roster outside of Joe Burrow uh, was the fact that the Bengals didn't get a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson was getting rid of the ball really quickly. He was for a career low 9.1 pressure rate in week two, um, despite the fact, by the way, that the Ravens were without two starters. And so you start to think, you say, okay, well, this Bengals roster is awesome. It's supposed to be awesome. That's the reason I picked them to win the Super Bowl. You have the three wide receivers in Boyd, Higgins, and Chase. You have a defensive line and a front seven and a defensive coordinator with Lou Anarumo who knows how to put it all together. You're replacing your two starting safeties, and, and obviously Jesse Bates is making plays down in Atlanta, and you, you, see, you know how good he is, but I'd rather those be the roster problems than some of the other problems around the league. What I'm seeing so far is really, really discouraging from that roster, 1 through 53. Hmm. Um, and I'm starting to... to be a little curious about whether or not they actually need superhero Burrow maybe sooner rather than later. Yeah, especially I think sooner uh, would be preferable so they're not climbing out of a hole, right? When, yes. when the schedule gets a lot harder in the second half of the season. Speaking of some of his weapons here, Boyd, Higgins, Chase, they're not doing much to help him out. Higgins did find the end zone twice on Sunday. What gets them locked in? Uh. <laughs> That's such a great question. So Burrow, <laughs> first of all, T. Higgins was uh, had zero catches on eight targets last week. So the fact that he was catching passes today is an upgrade. Congratulations to T. Higgins. Um, but <laughs> I think that Burrow, it's such a feel thing with Burrow. And it's something that he and I have talked about uh, quite a bit in the past. And, and that's kind of why I'm I'm so hesitant to, to ever count him out is because I know that when things are darkest, there's normally a reason for that in his game. Um, whether that's injury, again, whether that's the vision thing. What I think about Burrow is that he's probably the second best problem solver in football behind Patrick Mahomes, So I think we can talk about here in a second. But I think that what Burrow is really good at, so a great example is they played like garbage this time last year because essentially every defense was putting two safeties back deep and saying, we're going to take away your deep ball. Joe Burrow led the NFL in deep touchdown passes in 2021. So in 2022, defenses weren't allowing him to do that. So in halftime against Baltimore, actually, this time last year, he essentially flipped the script and said, I'm going to just, just take what the defense gives me and understand to take the five-yard reception rather than the 15-yard reception and just see how that goes. That totally flipped everything. He became one of the most efficient passers in football from that from, from then on. And defenses basically had to change their identity every time they played Cincinnati. There's yeah, going yeah. to have to be something like that, Michelle, where... Mm. 
They figure out, okay, this is what defenses are giving me. I'm a great problem solver. Here's what's next. That's always the best thing about Burrow. He's like a, a freaking brilliant music, musician where he's like, all right, what is this album going to look like? What am I going to do? What direction am I going to take this in? And I think that's once the cat feels, that's what this is, is figuring out how are teams defending us? How are they changing our, their identity and, and figuring out, do we, do we go deeper uh, than we used to? Do we go shorter than we used to? He understands how to do that. So once he gets healthy, I think you'll see a nice little run of, of four, five, six wins in a row. Yeah, I mean, the operative phrase there, right, is uh, once the calf heals and there is so much unknown with the calf that, as I mentioned, he tweaked again. Uh, I wouldn't blame Bengals fans for being a little bit nervous, uh, especially in the short term here, but we have seen him very, very confident after tough losses. I love that musician analogy. Let's go to the other side. Lamar Jackson looked really good. Uh, Threw for two touchdowns. It's his first multi-touchdown game since last October. What did you see from him and and his performance? What were your takeaways there? Yeah, so two biggest things are, number one, he's getting rid of the ball quickly. And I think that that's that's dangerous for defenses because if there's two different things you can do, Lamar with a quick release versus Lamar knowing when to run and doing it quickly, like that's where it gets devastating. Um, I think him holding onto the ball too long and then either not running or throwing throwing deep or whatever, um, having guys covered downfield, that was always a bit of a problem. But if he's learning in the Todd Munkin offense to play a little bit of a mm-hmm. different style, Munkin was so good at Georgia. I knew this was going to help because more tempo. Like The offense last year was so slow in Baltimore. So you have more tempo already. You have more quick passes. You have Zay Flowers. And that's the biggest thing. That's the second thing I want to hit. Zay Flowers is an offense-changing type of guy. Well, Lamar's always been good at the throws. Uh, I think if you look at statistically, 11 to 19 yards, like kind of middle of the field throws, um, mid-range throws, kind of find the holes in the defense type of guy, right? And to go with the deep ball now and to have Zay Flowers who can go, who can stretch the field in incalculable ways and to have Lamar Jackson being able to hit it and that kind of speed and him establishing himself as frankly the alpha on a team with Odell Beckham and a couple other guys on that offense where it's a veteran team. Mark Andrews is out week one. Um, it was unbelievable to see. And you saw it a little bit today with, with that deep bomb on that incredible one. You know, Lamar with time going deep. 20-yard line. St. Flowers reaches up and makes the catch at the 10. What a play. Bounces to his feet. The play of the day, Lamar Jackson to Zay Flowers, and the Ravens are knock, knock, knocking at the door. Um, I think Zay Flowers is in the running to be the most valuable addition to an offense in the in the first two weeks of the season. And I, I think the, the ceiling on this is not being talked about as, as, as high as it should be. I mean, this is a, a Super Bowl type of team if if they get healthy. And by the way, they beat a team I picked to win the Super Bowl and they weren't healthy today. Like they, they Ronnie Stanley was out. Tyler Lindebaum was out. Marlon Humphrey was out. Marcus totally. Williams they was were out. Odell Beckham with an ankle injury. Like this is Lamar yeah. and Zay Flowers and a couple other guys doing it by themselves. Kevin Zeitler after the game said Lamar is magic. Like that's it. That's what football is. It's just one guy saying, all right, let's go. I have one receiver. We're, we're just going to make this happen. That's the kind of team that makes the Super Bowl. Uh, Let's move on to Chiefs-Jags. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs had a date with Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. Now, the Chiefs lost to the Lions. Uh, That was disappointing for them. They were still in the game, but they were obviously missing two of their top playmakers on offense and on defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Casey looking for the bounce back win. They did get it. But were you expecting more from the Chiefs' offense, especially considering that Travis Kelsey was back back there. I mean, this win felt very interesting to me because it felt like a defensive win more than anything else. 
Yeah, well, let, let's flip it, right? I mean, I was just criticizing the Bengals for not being able to get a defensive win when their quarterback wasn't playing well. So, like, this could be considered good news, right? Right. Um, all right. right. So, here's what I think about the Chiefs. First of all, when you don't have a great receiving core and Kadarius Tony is developing into your wide receiver one, like, you need Travis Kelsey healthy. Mm. Don't have him at all in week one. Probably still a little banged up in week two. Um, it was going to take a lot for Travis Kelsey to come off the field in week one. So, the fact that he was... Um, even on the field for week two shows you who's probably still a little dinged. He's normally wide open. He's normally finding holes in the defense and he wasn't catching the ball on Sunday and he wasn't open. And so this was a different version of Kelsey and we're probably going to have to wait a couple more weeks to see what this offense looks like. Um, on the other side, obviously Chris Jones comes back and just wrecks the game. We saw it early. We saw it often. Um, and so yeah. when a team like last week, the Chiefs are missing two of the three best players. You're going to notice that. Now they get back one of those players at full speed, at full health, and one of those players injured. Um, and you're seeing, I guess, the happy medium between um, a, a weird, disjointed team like we saw against Detroit and a team that can grind out a win against a good Jacksonville team that we saw Sunday. Yeah, yeah. The Chiefs uh, turning the ball over in this game three times, four of 13 on third down, but did not give up a TD to the Jaguars offense. I feel like the Chiefs offense will figure it out. That's just my early prognostication. Let's touch on uh, Packers Falcons now at Atlanta. Mm -hmm. uh, the Falcons trailing most of this game. I mean, three quarters of the game, they were trailing. Finally won it on a late field goal, 25-24. The Packers so close to starting 2-0 on the road. I did not realize this for what, what would have been the first time in their 100-plus year history. Let's talk about QB1, right? Jordan mm -hmm. Love. Now, he did what he needed to do last week against Chicago. Uh, continued their his ownership slash dominance uh, over Chicago last week. Was that deed officially tr uh, transferred from yeah, Rogers? Yeah, you know to what? The, I saw the over? real estate. I saw the real estate transfer yeah. uh, in <laughs> Chicago. City Hall. Yeah, it was. It was. It floated around different neighborhoods in Chicago. We all signed off. It was. It was sad, but not a, not unexpected. Um, <laughs> but um, no love. Love came out, you know, through three touchdowns. Yeah. However, 14 of 25 for 151 yards. Clearly, he's a young guy. He is still developing. I think there are a lot of people who are ready to uh, put him next to Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers mm -hmm. amongst, you know, the ridiculous run of success that Green Bay has had in terms of just finding and developing elite quarterbacks. Two weeks in, okay, where do you land on love so far? I would say exceeding expectations from where he was two years ago, three years ago, um, about where he was, what I expected coming into this season. Mm. Three touchdowns, not making a lot of mistakes. I think the most, the guy I'm most surprised with, even though I've always been impressed with him, is Matt LaFleur. Right. Um, he's putting so many things on tape, and he's showing so many different formations and so many different styles of offense. I think everybody came out and said, what does the Matt LaFleur offense look like? And the answer, I think, is it looks like everything. Um, and so offensively, they were pushing the ball down the field. Uh, this, I mean, this week and last week, I mean, we only had 14 completions of 151 yards. Um, but last week, he was, I believe, one of five quarterbacks to have over 10 uh, yards on average depth of target, um, which is kind of hard to do in this increasingly uh, short pass environment in the NFL. Um, and so they trust him. I guess that's the way I would put it. They trust him. 
Um, also had two attempts for 23 yards on the ground. Yeah. Um, they should have won this game. It's okay. They didn't, um, they're keeping pace in the division. Nobody's going to run away and hide in that division. And so, um, I, I've, I've been blown away with the plan and the development around Jordan love over the past, I'd say two and a half years. You know, uh, RG3, our colleague at ESPN, uh, shout out RG3, his first coach in the NFL was Matt LaFleur. And he has this great quote where uh, he said, essentially that Matt told him once, you know, if you listen to us, if you listen to the coaching staff, if you trust us, we're not going to throw you guys under the bus. You know, we are not going to throw you under the bus. And he said, RG3 said, Matt always stayed true to that. And that's why Jordan Love will have a chance, you know, in Green Bay. I, I completely agree. I, I've spent some time with Matt uh, this time last year, and I just think that he did his best with the Rodgers style of offense. And yeah, Lafleur tried to install certain things that worked. That like totally worked. He won two MVPs there. But Rodgers always is going to want some characteristics of the Mike McCarthy kind of West Coast offense. And so you had a little bit of a stylistic. Uh, mismatch, I, I would say, and some in some parts, um, but they made it work. And now, without that, and I'm not saying that Lafleur is happy that Rodgers is gone or whatever. Obviously, you want that kind of talent in the building. Um, but what I am saying is, offensively, you're going to see him flex his muscles a little bit more because I guess the, the quarterback just doesn't have veto power anymore, um, which I think is just only natural. Yeah. And you've got a guy who's won that much, and so you saw the quote after last week. Basically, LaFleur said Jordan Love never changed the play at the line. That's something the Shanahan offense is just not comfortable with as far as changing the play at the line. Well, Rodgers loves changing the play at the line. I mean, every tons of great quarterbacks do. That's not unique to Aaron Rodgers. And so you're seeing maybe a little more of everybody being on the same page. And that's not just coach and quarterback. That might be the entire roster. Good stuff. We've got a Monday night doubleheader tonight. Saints at Panthers, followed by Browns at Steelers. Kevin, thanks so much. Thanks, Michelle. I'm Michelle Steele. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.